Hey, you are listening to Decisions Change Everything. I'm your host, Kimberly Mathis, and this is going to be episode 25. So I know that this podcast is going to be releasing on December 29th, 2023, and a lot of other podcasts right now are talking about the end of the year, something having to do with reflecting on your year, planning for the year ahead, right? Revisiting goals, kind of just doing a reflection, New Year's resolutions, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I just don't want to do that, y'all. There's already enough of it out there. So while I notice myself having the thought that that's what this podcast episode should be about, the next couple, I have other things I want to talk about. And so that's what I'm going to do. Now, I also want to give you a heads up that I really thought this was going to be one episode, but as I've been digging into it and like preparing my notes and my outline, figuring out what I want to say this is probably going to be a two or three part even series, a series of podcasts about the differences between therapy and coaching and why I made the transition from being a licensed therapist to a coach. Now, a huge reason I want to spend some time talking about this is because I want you to have a better understanding. I want to pull back the curtain, shall we say, of both these industries so that you can make a more informed decision about what you are actually looking for when you're contemplating working with someone and the kinds of things that you want to pay attention to when interviewing any potential coaches or a therapist. And another reason I want to talk specifically about my background and path is because I think it matters. I think that knowing more about who you are working with only helps you make better decisions about whether or not this person is a good fit for you. I also want you to know about my personal reasons for choosing coaching over therapy because it will give you a lot more context as to why I love this profession so much. Now, where I want us to start in today's episode is I want to give you a little bit of background about myself and how I got into therapy and when I transitioned to coaching. I also want to talk with you about the differences between therapy and coaching, and I want to tell you about some of the problems, some of the criticisms that I personally have with the therapy profession after having been educated, trained, and practiced in that profession myself. Now, it goes without saying that therapy is incredibly helpful to a lot of people. And therapy, both therapy and coaching, have a place in the world, and they do good work. This episode is not going to be any sort of argument against one and for the other. I just want to give you a lot of information that I think you don't normally have when you are the client, right? This is inside information from my experience being a therapist, And it's just stuff I want you to be aware of, like I said, so you can make better decisions. So let's talk a little bit about me and my professional background. Now, before my father randomly decided, perhaps a midlife crisis, we don't know, randomly decided to buy a guitar company, shout out to Gallagher Guitar Company. If y'all don't know about it, go look it up. It's quite a historic guitar company. They make amazingly beautiful guitars, custom guitars. 
Before he did that, just a few years ago, he spent his entire adulthood as a psychologist in private practice. So I was a young child when he was in graduate school, and I grew up being his test subject for all the cognitive psychological exams that he was having to learn and bring home. I remember sitting at the dining room table doing these. And I was also prompted to work with a therapist as a teenager and young adult anytime something difficult came up. Which is also probably why I swore I'd never go into a mental health career myself. That was just not for me. I was not going to be my father. You know, famous last words. So in college, I initially majored in communications. I thought about doing something with television or marketing. However, I took that one intro to psych class, you know, the one that's required of everybody, and damn it, I loved it. So I ended up switching my major to psychology with a minor in religious studies because I'm not necessarily religious. I'm not religious at all, really, but religion fascinates me, right? It's probably having to do with psychology and like how people make decisions, how people choose things for themselves and what they orient their lives around. I just love that stuff. So I graduated from college and then I decided to go to graduate school, which is basically required if you're going to do anything within a mental health field, you have to have at least a master's degree. And because I was an honor student, a bit of a perfectionist, a high achiever, I got accepted into a PhD program for clinical psychology. My plan was to be a psychologist. It was right after I graduated college. I jumped in, quickly realized this is not what I wanted. It was so heavy on the research. And I specifically remember a professor telling me, she was my professor that I was assigned to as a graduate assistant. She told me that, and the rest of the class, that if we wanted to be people that worked with people in practice, that was master's level stuff. And she talked kind of down about it. She was like, we are PhD level, which means we are above all of that, that we do research and we look at theories. And it was like right at that moment that I was like, oh, this is not a good fit. This is not a good fit because that is the last thing I wanted to be doing. So if it hadn't been for unexpectedly getting pregnant during my first year of marriage, the same first semester I started that program, I probably wouldn't have had the guts to leave. I honestly kind of used my pregnancy as an excuse to leave the program. It was just going to be too rigorous, too tough. I would have to put the baby in daycare like every single day, all day long. So I left and I applied for and was accepted into that same university's master's in counseling program for a degree in marriage and family therapy. So I graduated from that program with a 21-month-old and a five-week-old newborn that I would literally go into my professor's offices to breastfeed while I was finishing my last few weeks of classes. Y'all, I need to add a caveat here. I have no idea how I did that. I literally have no idea. I can't imagine doing it now. I think I just must have been a zombie. My husband at the time was in medical school, so it was basically non-existent. And I honestly, I don't know how I did it. Would not recommend, would not recommend, but I did it. And here I am. And I am kind of proud of it. 
But because my husband at the time was in the military, also in medical school, I opted to be a stay at home mom because I knew we'd be moving in like one and a half years. There was just no way I was going to be able to work towards getting a license for therapy when I'd be moving states every couple of years. Because if you don't know, probably like a lot of other licenses, like it doesn't transfer from state to state and states have different requirements. So that just was not going to happen. So I didn't actually work as a therapist until I got divorced about six years later, had to get a job. Um, and my first experience working with a coach was while I was living in Japan as a stay at home mom. And I had a friend I met there who had just finished a coaching training. I had no idea what coaching was about. I had zero idea. I kind of maybe, you know, could take a guess, but I loved this friend. I loved her energy. I loved how mindful and thoughtful she was. And when my marriage started falling apart and I was opting to get a divorce, she offered to coach me for like something like 20 bucks a session. I mean, she was fresh out of her training. I think she wanted to help me. I had zero money to my name as an individual, um, as a single woman. So it was a gift. It was literally a gift that she gave me. And having had so many experiences with therapy for most of my life, like in and out of working with therapists, coaching felt so different. And the most important point for me was that coaching felt so much more helpful than therapy had ever been. Not that therapy wasn't helpful at all, but coaching by far felt like it was moving me forward so much more quickly than I'd ever done in therapy. So why was that? What are the differences between therapy and coaching? I want to go over some of the differences between therapy and coaching in two ways. One, the differences about what happens in a session, the similarities where they overlap, like what is the difference between a therapy session and a coaching session? And then I also want to talk to you about some of the differences in the structure and the theory and the background, the regulations, right? All of that stuff between therapy and coaching. Now, after I transitioned from being a therapist to a coach, I got asked a bazillion times, what is the difference between therapy and coaching? And, you know, for the purposes of a quick conversation, right, or someone just asking me randomly, I had to come up with some sort of answer that didn't get too much in the weeds and also explained it. And I finally came up with what I feel is like the best answer Personally, I have heard to describe in a very easy to understand way the differences and the overlap between coaching and therapy. And that is this. Both of these professions, both of these industries, they are trying to help people answer questions. Sometimes those questions are the same, but usually there's a focus on different questions. They're just answering different ones. In therapy, most of the time, people are coming to therapy asking why. That is the question we are trying to answer. 
why am I having these symptoms? Why am I in this situation? Why am I experiencing these things? Why am I having these patterns over and over again? Okay, so the therapist and the client are going to try to look backwards at things that have happened, gather a lot of information and answer that question. So while therapy is looking to answer questions about why, coaching, on the other hand, is just looking to answer different questions. And most often these are what and how. So in coaching, we're asking, what do you want to be different? And how are we going to create that? How are we going to implement that or create those changes? Now, like I said, there is a lot of overlap. These are not two completely separate professions or industries. So while there may be a question or a couple of questions that have the focus for either therapy or coaching, it doesn't mean that the other questions don't come up sometimes. For example, in therapy, are you going to be talking about at some point what you want to be different and how you're going to implement that? Of course. In coaching, are you going to be asked why? Are we going to look for the context? Are we going to look for the past history? Are we going to look for reasons that things are the way that they are right now? Of course. But I think the big difference is how much time we are spending focused on any particular question. And therapy, by far, what I watched happen over and over again with clients is that we would almost get stuck in the why. That's where we spent every session rehashing things that have happened in the past. And even though it's not explicitly discussed, sometimes the clients for sure, and even the therapists themselves, like they join in with the client on this goal of figuring out the exact reason why, because there's this thinking that if we can figure out why, it won't be a problem anymore. So we just keep looking and looking and looking. And the truth is, you may never know. There are a lot of different factors that affect us, right? The whole, we can sum it up as like nature versus nurture. There's a lot of components. So while answering, seeking to answer that question, it does give us more understanding. It does give us context. Having that answer isn't going to make everything better. Just because you know why you're doing something doesn't mean it's going to be easier not to do it. So while in coaching, we may spend a session asking why we may spend a session looking back at things, we're not going to spend every single session there. For the most part, our attention is going to be focused on, okay, and what next? And what next? How is it going? What are you doing? What are we practicing? How do we move closer? What are the next steps? It's going to be very forward focused. Okay, so that's kind of an overview, right, of the differences between therapy and coaching, kind of like philosophically, what's the difference? But a really, really important distinction that you need to know about is that therapy is built on a medical model. Now, what do I mean by this? It means that therapy, as it is set up today, is structured around principles that resemble those found in medical practice. So we're talking diagnosis and treatment, right? Therapy involves diagnosing mental health conditions based on specific criteria outlined in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Here's something that you need to know that I think just doesn't really get talked about, and you're probably unaware of it. 
if you are someone who is seeing a therapist for any reason whatsoever, whether or not they have ever discussed a diagnosis with you, if you are billing your insurance company for that therapist to have that therapist covered, you have a diagnosis in your file. There is no way an insurance company is going to pay for something that does not have a diagnosis. So this was a huge beef that I had with practicing as a therapist because I had so many clients coming to me that were not really suffering with a mental health disorder, a diagnosable mental health disorder. They were going through some shit. They might be getting a divorce. They might be dealing with difficult family relationships. There might have been a death in the family. They might be dealing with the transition into motherhood after being a working woman their entire life. These things are just hard. And if I had been taking insurance, which I was not, at the very least, these clients would have a diagnosis of an adjustment disorder. In layman's terms... An adjustment disorder is considered to be excessive reactions to stress that involve things like negative thoughts or strong emotions or changes in behavior, right? It's a stressful response to an event that is more intense than would typically be expected. Y'all, I, I can't even, there are so many issues I have with even that definition, right? More intense than typically would be expected. I don't know. I think we're all just humans, right? We have different responses to things. But anyway, I think that a lot of people, when they go to their therapist, because something is not openly discussed about a diagnosis, about how things are billed, right? The assumption is like, I don't have a diagnosis of any kind, but there's one in there. If you are using insurance, there is one in there. Because like I said, it's the only way insurance will pay for things. And insurance will also dictate how many sessions they think it should take to clear everything up. So again, this is built on a medical model, right? Which means that there is some sort of problem and we're going to fix it. There is some sort of pathology, right? There are symptoms and a pathology and we are going to treat those things. So on my side of things as a therapist, I wasn't just keeping client notes. These are HIPAA protected medical records and there are certain ways of keeping notes outlined by the health boards and licensing boards, the regulatory, you know, organizations. They have guidelines and rules about how you are supposed to keep those medical notes. I, regardless of how I was working with a client or what we were working on, I had to keep notes about the treatment plan, the quote unquote interventions that were used, a reduction in symptoms. And this, even though I did it, I did it well, right? Because I had to, I was licensed or working towards licensure before that. I had to follow these guidelines and it never felt like it was in alignment with the way I was really relating to and interacting with my clients in session. I saw them as clients, not patients. Now, when we're talking about a medical model, we're also talking about a hierarchy, in that relationship, right? If you go to the doctor, the doctor is the expert. You look to them to tell you what is wrong with you, what you should do about it, right? The necessary course of treatment. There is going to be a hierarchical structure to that relationship. 
even sometimes what feels like a bit of a power imbalance. How many of you have been to the doctor and felt like you were not listened to, but have to listen to what the doctor says because they're the expert, right? This can also show up in therapy sessions in the therapeutic profession because there is typically a perceived expertise and authority given to the therapist resembling the same kind of dynamic that you would have between a medical doctor and a patient. And along those lines, if we're also setting up therapy as a medical model, which it is, then it's also going to emphasize more often than not identifying the dysfunction within an individual, like focusing on diagnosable conditions or disorders rather than considering the broader social, cultural, or systemic factors that might be contributing to someone's behavior, someone's mental health issues. Now, I will say this is one reason why I really liked going into a marriage and family therapy program, because it is very focused on systems. It is not just looking at the individual, it is looking at that individual and how their family system, their community, their background, their religious community, all of those things are influencing how they think about and perceive themselves in the world. Now, another big difference between therapy and coaching is that in therapy, you are never really going to see a therapist who is working with clients on some sort of package structure right? There is not a therapist that you're going to find or go to, or at least there shouldn't be, that is saying, you work with me for six months, we have sessions every single week, and you pay up front. That is just not what happens. Because it is structured as this medical model, therapists are just going to say, here's what I think you should be doing. You should maybe be coming every week or every other week or once a month. It can kind of change depending on how symptoms are presenting, but it's going to be just session to session. Now, there are pros and cons to this, okay? Pro to this is that people are just paying for exactly what they need when they need it, right? A con to this is that sometimes people's life gets in the way, they miss sessions, they aren't making progress as quickly because they are not coming in, And there isn't any sort of talk about like, so we have 12 sessions. What do we want to do with those? It's like this nebulous kind of thing that's just like out there. No one really talks about it. How long will I be coming? We don't know. Is it going to be months? Will I be here a full year? Is it just a few weeks? We don't know, especially if you're private pay. Now, again, if you are paying with insurance, your insurance company might honestly be dictating how many sessions you get to have. Now, when it comes to pricing, you are also going to notice that a difference between therapy and coaching is that therapy prices for seeing a provider is going to be based largely, if not predominantly, on that provider's level of education. So whether they have a master's degree or a PhD, and it's going to be based on the market in your area. Now, in contrast, pricing for coaches runs the gamut. You could have a coach that is like when I was starting out, you know, with my very first coach, $20 a session, you can have coaches that are $25,000 for six months. 
it literally is the wild west out there. You can just have coaches deciding what they want to charge based on what they see as the value of their coaching and what they do. And there is a plethora of options for you. Now, of course, are some people charging too much compared to what they're doing? Absolutely. Are there people charging too little compared to how good they are? Absolutely. But it is just unregulated. Which brings me to the last huge difference between therapy and coaching, and that is that therapy is a regulated industry and coaching is not. Now, what does it mean that therapy is regulated? It means that in order to be a therapist, you have to have a license or you will be prosecuted legally and financially, you'll have to pay fees. It means that you have to go through certain training. You have to have a certain degree. You have to complete a certain number of hours of clinical work that is supervised. You have to have a certain number of hours in supervision. That means talking with someone who is a licensed supervisor about your clients and cases and the work that you are doing. You have to do this for a certain amount of time. You have to pass a jurisprudence exam, which is basically about your state's rules and regulations. And you have to also pass an exam about whatever field you are in. Now, this is one of the biggest criticisms that people have with coaching, right? Is that because coaching is completely unregulated, meaning you could wake up tomorrow morning, declare yourself a coach and start selling coaching and making money. That's entirely possible, right? It is completely unregulated. You don't have to have any certain degrees. You don't have to have any certain training. You don't have to be certified. You don't have to have continuing education, right? I understand why people are so critical of this. And I also think there are some fabulous things about the fact that coaching is not regulated because there's a, there aren't as many barriers to entry. Okay. Which means you don't have to go into school debt. You don't have to have perfect test scores and get into some sort of degree program and finish it out and take on school loans. None of that. You can learn a lot on your own about coaching skills and enter in to the field if you want to access for individuals who have lived with a lot of oppression, who have been socioeconomically disenfranchised, right? Not given as much privilege or just don't have access to some of the same educational financial resources. Coaching is easy, easier for them to get into if that is what they want to do. And also because coaching is unregulated, it means that you can work with a coach anywhere in the world. If you're looking for a therapist, you are going to be limited to the therapists who are licensed to practice in your state. This also means that if you move, even like I live somewhere that's right on a state line between two states. If I were to move over the state line, even if it's just 10 miles different, my therapist would not be able to work with me any longer because they aren't licensed in that state. So your options for finding someone who is within your budget, who is in whatever niche you are looking for help with, who really fits your personality and your values, your options are so much more expanded 
with coaching because there aren't these limitations about who can see who where. Now, also, while I think that this is changing, remember how I was talking about that, like expert patient kind of dynamic in therapy. I do think that there is being more of an effort made to have therapists be seen as regular people. Okay. And I think that is a great thing because when I was in school, there was such an emphasis on being this kind of blank slate. That is such an old way of thinking, right? It's like, don't be a real person. Don't talk with a client at all about your personal life. Don't let them know anything about your personal life. Don't share your own thoughts and opinions, right? And we're not even talking in session, you guys. We are not talking in session. We're talking about even online. I remember not just myself, but my peers, we were all so worried about saying something too personal or putting something online that was too personal because we're not supposed to do that as a therapist. What if our clients saw it? So when you're working with a coach, coaches are allowed to be more of an individual, in my opinion, right? It is more of a partnership. I don't want to have a power dynamic in our relationship. I don't want there to feel, I don't want my clients to feel like I am the expert and they are always looking for to me for my solutions and my wisdom. My job as a coach is to help the client find that for themselves, to learn how to trust themselves and make decisions for themselves. My job is to help the client figure out what answer fits the best for them and then how to go about putting that in place, not to just throw out a prescriptive answer that's supposed to work for everyone. Now, again, I want to emphasize that there is a place in the world for both therapy and coaching to exist, and they should coexist. They both have strengths. They both have ways in which they help individuals. And sometimes one or the other is a better fit for a person depending on their personality, what they are looking for, how they think about themselves and the world, right? So it's nice to have both of these options. I do not think that one is necessarily better than the other. Do I have one that I prefer? Yes. Do I have one that I think is better for me? Yes. Do I have one that I think could benefit every single person if they want to participate in that? Absolutely. And I will never not suggest therapy for someone who I think might benefit from therapy. There are clients who can and who should be seeing a therapist, even while they might be seeing a coach. Okay. So I really want to make that clear that this is not a podcast, nor will the next episodes be about saying this one is bad. This one is good or trying to sway anyone from one to the other. I just want you to know more about them. I want you to be more informed about these two options so that, like I said, you can make a good decision. So that is where I want to wrap up today. Now, in the next couple of episodes, some of the things I want to be talking about and will be talking about are my own personal reasons for leaving therapy, leaving my therapy practice to go into coaching full time. I also want to talk about some of the common misconceptions, some of the criticisms criticisms that people have about coaching. And I just want to give you my thoughts about those. I want to kind of balance out some of those things. And I also want to have 
my very first guest on to talk about her own transition from therapy to coaching. And I want us to have a discussion about how people can decide whether or not therapy or coaching is for them and how to pick a practitioner that is going to be a great fit for them. Someone who they will hopefully have a really good experience with and who they will say their time with just was incredibly valuable. So please tune in for the upcoming episodes. I think they're going to be really, really informative and really helpful. And that is what I want this podcast to be about. Now, if you are wanting to find someone to work with for yourself, I am taking one-on-one clients. You can book a free consultation call with me at my website, www.kimberlymathis.com, or you can find me on Instagram at the Kimberly Mathis. Send me a DM, click on the link in my bio, and we'll get something scheduled. It's our chance to talk for an hour about what's going on with you, what you're looking for, and to help you have the information you need to decide if I am the right fit for you. Y'all, I know it's crazy, but the next time you hear from me, it's going to be next year. So I hope you have a fantastic new year. I hope you spend it exactly in the way that you want to, that feels best for you. And I will talk with you next week. Bye.